I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, this week on Everything Under the Sun, the AccuWeather podcast, we are actually talking about travel and Christmas and snow and not so much about sun. People want to have a white Christmas. I'm joined in the studio by Ken Prowl. He is our director of audio services who is singing in the background right now. Oh, I thought it was Bing Crosby. (laughs) And that's Andy Robb, our producer and broadcaster here at AccuWeather. Yeah. He sounded a lot like Bing, didn't he? Yeah. A little bit. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean keep doing it. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like when Bill Murray used to do the lounge lizard, wasn't it? The lounge lizard. Yes. Yeah. So it's your lounge lizard Bill Murray version. I'll be here all week. Don't forget to tip your waiters and waitresses. So anyway, what we are talking about is holiday travel because you know everybody is. You know, some people are trying to get out early, so we wanted to find out what would be the best weather windows for travel for certain areas of the country. Mm-hmm. So you guys uh, had a chance to talk to Paul Pastelock about that and also about who will get to see a white Christmas. Plus, we are going to take a trip back in time with one of the ghosts of Christmas past. <laughs> well, actually, no, we're not. <laughs> but we are going to take a look at a past Christmas with our storyteller and our resident historian here, Elliot Abrams. Very important. One of the Christmas. most important Christmases. Yes. It's actually yeah. the one that helped make us a free country yes. <laughs> and the United <laughs> States of America. So it's kind of important. So Elliot Abrams is going to take a look back at Washington's crossing of the Delaware and also uh, a couple of the key battles, right, Yep, Andy? his captures of Princeton and Trenton. So you definitely want to stick around for that, especially if you are a history fan or if you just love America. <laughs> <laughs> so stay tuned for that. It's all about Christmas. From AccuWeather's global headquarters in State College, Pennsylvania, it's everything under the sun. Here's your host, Regina Miller. And Regina will be along in just a few minutes to talk with Elliot Abrams about uh, weather's impact on the Revolutionary War. But Andy, uh, we're here to talk about uh, holiday travel, White Christmas, all that good stuff for this year. Yep, what to expect. And of course, we're joined in the studio by AccuWeather's very own and a friend of the show, of course, uh, Paul Pastelock, meteorologist and long-range forecasting expert. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, I expect to be sitting on my couch on Christmas Day going nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) I think... I think I, that's a good plan. Absolutely, <laughs> that's the safest one, right? I don't have yeah. to worry about hol- you know holiday travel or anything. So you, well, you got what? How old's Parker? He's six. Six. So I mean, he doesn't want to go anywhere on Christmas Day. You know, unfortunately, he's going to have to wait till later in the day. I don't know how I'm going to do this because my wife's working. Oh, so he's got to wait to open up. He's got to wait till later in the day. Oh, good luck with that. I know. I don't know what I'm going to do. You're going to have to keep <laughs> him up really late on Christmas Eve. No, and no, then no. have him sleep in most of the day. No, I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> you know that as a kid, yes. you can go to bed late. You're up five oh, o'clock yeah. the next morning. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, let's get into, uh, for those of us who are actually doing a little traveling, you know, we're looking at probably the weekend into Christmas Eve, then Christmas Day. So are there any trouble areas, especially this weekend? You know, what's good is when you look at the map overall, it's not that bad. Okay. Mm -hmm. The, the big storm this week is going to be leaving the picture uh, some problems maybe early on in the northeast to deal with Friday night and Saturday morning. Okay. Uh, we may have some snow on I-80 in Pennsylvania, parts of southwest New York. Uh, snow may be accumulating on the ground, but it's a wet snow. So the highways... Eh, just you know, take your time. Just take your time. Take your time. And I think airways, I think you're good in the major cities. It should be cleaning out maybe a few delays early on in the weekend. So what areas might see the most uh, amount of winter weather? Well, I think you're going to see a little bit of snow probably across uh, the upper Midwest and Great Lakes, uh, extending down maybe a little into the Ohio Valley, a little mood snow on Christmas Day, uh, which is good. But it's the West. There's another system coming into the West. Man, we've seen a lot of these storms coming in left and right. It's like every other day out there. So... Uh, You're going to have to watch in between for the days to travel there. But uh, on the 24th and 25th, there's going to be a storm that starts in the northwest and heads towards the southwest. So there's going to be some problems there, some airport delays, snow in the mountains, some rain even in the deserts of the southwest. But I think that's the focus of uh, the biggest area of concern right now. So nothing major. So if I'm getting all this right, Mm -hmm. maybe nobody has a technical white Christmas you know, your traditional areas that get snow in the mountains well, yeah. of the west, yeah. uh, you may get the snow flying in the air across the Great Lakes, Ohio Valley region, maybe at night into the Appalachians. But the big cities like New York, Boston, Philadelphia, I don't see a, a white Christmas in store for this year. What about looking ahead a little bit further uh, when it comes to New Year's Eve, Times Square? What are we looking oh, at? Oh, man, he's putting and, a real pressure Andy, why don't on we talk about right Easter, the 4th of July, <laughs> Labor Day? You want to go all the way? Uh, still yeah. a couple <laughs> weeks away <laughs> from New Year's Eve. What about Columbus Day next October? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm sure, I, I mean, Andy's right. I mean, a lot of people are probably Didn't making it, their plans, especially to hit, head to, uh, you know, Times it, Square for d- New Year's Eve. Did it rain last year at Times Square? I thought it rained last year. I, I thought I saw ponchos and things like that I last think year. I'm usually asleep by 9 o'clock. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but that's, I see the, the I think replay. you might be correct about I that. I think it rained last yeah. year. Well, guess what? It doesn't look dry again this year. I don't know how heavy it's going to be, but it could be damp. It could be chilly. There could be even some wet snow mixed in, but I think it's mostly rain. Uh, it, it, doesn't, it looks kind of ugly. There's a system coming up from the southwest. Timing right now is New Year's Eve day, but... We'll see if it can continue all the way into the nighttime hours. Maybe by midnight, it's already leaving. We'll see. But most of those people are standing in line for you know hours, 10, hours and hours, yeah, <laughs> or jumping because they yeah have, exactly you know? yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> doing whatever they got to do. You know, I don't know. I don't understand that. I don't know where anyone goes to the bathroom there. I can tell you that right now. That's got to be <laughs> I, yeah, nuts. No, there is no bathrooms or anything. I mean, so, you're yeah, jumping up and down for about 10 hours, <laughs> yeah. so I don't think they matter. You're pretty much stuck there. <laughs> but the thing is, is yes, I think they're going to they're gonna have to bring the, the wet gears, the, the, the ponchos, the hats, whatever they got to do okay. to stay dry. Well, of course, you know, we want to thank you for coming in. I know that you're busy, 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 busy around this time of year. I mean, you're you're pretty much always busy. This guy's busy. always Here busy. Here at AccuWeather, yeah. I know. You're re- we're recording. <laughs> this in the middle of the afternoon i should be relaxing right now instead of being here but that's okay see that's why we love you (laughs) so of course uh check out accuweather.com for more and of course uh paul pastelock 
our long-range forecaster coming in and joining us today. And good luck with your son on Christmas yeah. Day. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, have a happy I'm holiday. I'm going to need all the luck on there. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys, and happy holidays. Yeah. Well, so glad Paul could sit down with you guys and let people know when's a good time to get out of town for your holiday travel. But I've got another little piece of advice. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> Listen up. <laughs> so if you're going to be doing some traveling, you may want to download our AccuWeather app and that way, it has minute cast not only for your location, you can find out what's happening at the location that you're going to and find out when the best travel time is. Yeah, and if you want more information about traveling and the holiday travel forecast, listen to our podcast episode from last week, number 35. We talked to AAA about their 2018 holiday travel forecast. Now taking a look back in time to Christmas past is Elliot Abrams, uh, Chief Meteorologist, joining me in the studio. Good to be here, Gina, and how are you today? I'm good, I'm excellent. good. That's excellent. Whenever we started this podcast series, the first interview we did was with you. We talked about, you know, your life and weather and how you kind of came about this right. line of work. But at the end of it, I asked you if you could have, like, dinner or drinks with anybody, you know, famous, living, deceased, or, you know, even, like, not real fictional. And you said George Washington. And then you went on to tell me a little bit about the crossing of the Delaware. And I was like, I totally have to bring Elliot back in to tell that story. Because there is a lot about the Revolutionary War and what George Washington knew about the weather that had he not, we wouldn't have the United States today. He, as was, we a very, know. he was a very smart person. In fact, when I've given this uh, talk to fourth graders, such as my granddaughter, I've talked about how George Washington was such a smart person. I said, how could he know? That after Christmas in 1776, the best place to cross the Delaware would right. be at Washington's Crossing. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> that is amazing. Let's kind of get into what was happening at this time back in 1776 because, you know, there was the signing of the Declaration of Independence that was in, in the summer. In, in Philadelphia. Right. But and the mood changed a lot oh, yes, following were, that. There was, they're kind of, they didn't know what really was going to happen, but they were optimistic they were going to be forming a new country. But the British had other thoughts. They wanted to keep their colonies. And so they attacked and they came through Long Island and they won there and they moved across New Jersey. And almost every battle, the rebels got the reputation for cutting and running that uh, as soon as they were being attacked they'd run away but this event the battle of trenton and then the battle of princeton these two events turned that all around and and really got the revolution back on track and it, it was almost at the last minute because here we are at the end of this december 1776 the enlistments were all going to be up for the soldiers. They could leave, and, and nobody could keep them there. And George Washington said, how many of you are willing to stay for this for one battle that we have a chance at? And first one person stood up, and then a number of people stood up, and they wound up keeping the army. And if that hadn't happened, the revolution might have been over then. Oh, okay. So they agreed that he got enough people to agree to stay because they had gotten that discouraged between the summer of 1776. A whole series of defeats. Mm -hmm. Continental Congress wasn't really supplying them very much equipment or money. In fact, he promised them bonuses and didn't even have authorization from the Congress to offer those. Plus, there's the risk, I guess, for anybody involved at that time of them losing, because what would happen to them? Well, it was those treason. It's treason against the crown. They could be hung. They could be captured, and, and they were all criminals then. Now, tell me about the storm on Christmas night of 1776 
and the Battle of Trenton. Let's talk about how that played out. There was a Northeaster then, and this is not really uncommon. Northeasters have occurred along the eastern seaboard since, I guess, time began. And there was one at this time, and it was written up by a number of uh, people who followed the weather. And it was located off the Virginia coast. And the area from Philadelphia to Trenton and Princeton at this time was near the, the snow rain line. And part of it was rain, part of it was snow. It was a very nasty night. It's still like that now. We it's, get that still, so often, still don't happen. we? And, and one of the reasons for that is that those cities were built on the fall line where as, as far inland as navigation could go. For example, Philadelphia, you can navigate up the Delaware River, but you try navigating up the Schuylkill, you find a, a, a dam in the way. And, and the same thing happened uh, Washington and Baltimore. So all the major cities were formed along that line, and that's often a snow rain line with storms in the winter. So this was a mixture of snow and rain, and so it was a very inclement night. But battles weren't usually conducted in the winter because they had horses, and the horses had to eat something. What were they going to eat in the winter? The, the grass is all dormant. So most of the battles were occurred from spring to fall. So this was very unusual. And on Christmas night, the Hessian soldiers were kind of celebrating. Why not? Christmas night, and they didn't have anything really to do. There were no expectations of any kind of battle. No. Meanwhile, in previous weeks, George Washington and his forces had moved all these big these boats that they had that were used to haul ore down the Delaware River. And they brought them all to the Pennsylvania side. And the reason they did this is they didn't want the British to be able to cross the Delaware and catch them in Pennsylvania. If there was no way to cross the Delaware, then they wouldn't make this attack. So they had all these boats. And on Christmas night, George Washington and his soldiers, he decided, let's cross the Delaware and see what we can do to take Trenton. And the soldiers actually were divided up into several different groups, and not all of them made it across. But the ones that went from Washington's crossing, the, the water was just smooth enough that they were able to cross. Now, what happened then after that? Because George Washington recognized weather patterns. Yes. Because he had lived here, and, you know, he was a farmer. Virginia farmer. He knew the signs of weather. And, and many of the things that he would have noticed, the British soldiers would not, because in, in England— the patterns are different, it's much like in the Pacific Northwest. In Seattle, with the northwest wind, it's not going to freeze that night. Whereas in Trenton or New York City, northwest winds bring in cold air, and it will freeze at night. So with this storm, he noticed that the wind was out of the north, and so he decided that the best route of attack would be to come into Trenton from the north. And this way, when the Hessian soldiers did wake up, hearing all the commotion, they'd walk outside and they'd be looking into sleet. Oh, the sleet wow. pelting against them, and so this would reduce their visibility and, and give them a, a great disadvantage, and the rebels were able to take over. Wow, so he thought so much so that he knew the direction, which is amazing at that time, the knowledge that he had of the weather and how it was going to impact that battle. That's correct, and of course he had used that knowledge in his farming business and came in handy a few days later with the Battle of Princeton. So they win at uh, Trenton, and then they kind of retreat for a while, and the snow that fell that in that storm melted, and so there was a lot of mud in the first few days of January. And here are these armies, the two armies that are uh, against each other are, are stuck in the mud. Oh, it'd be miserable. Backed up against the river. And in early January, Washington had to do something. He couldn't really escape too easily. He's trapped there against the river, so he had to figure out a bold plan and he notices on this one day the wind is out of the northwest and he had a thermometer and the temperature was 37 degrees and the temperature was not climbing despite sunshine 
and he noticed this was a signal from his past experience that that night it would freeze. So what would happen if the ground did freeze and some kind of military operation was possible? The British couldn't possibly guess this. Right. They didn't so, know it was coming, so he was no. watching thinking, Was he, he was thinking the ground he was, was going to harden. It, it was going to freeze. And so he gets the generals together and they decide, look, let's set up bonfires, make it look like we're camping for the night. Once they see that we're camping for the night, they're not going to attack this afternoon. Mm-hmm. that he wanted to you know, postpone any attack by the British till some time later. So as soon as it froze that night, they were able to put cloth around the wagon wheels so they couldn't be heard as easily. These big fires are raging, and so behind there you couldn't see anything. And the British, who, if they could have been suspicious, wouldn't have seen what was going on. And then in the middle of the night, they moved out and headed to Princeton. There was some question when we did this study on, on how all this occurred, it was kind of a forensic study. We looked for any piece of evidence that would tell us exactly what happened and, and why it happened then. And usually, if, if they were doing an operation, they wanted to do it with moonlight. And right, so, because it was so, we, we forget how dark it, it would have been back so then. so dark. I mean, even right now, as you're listening to this, if you turn off the lights in your house or apartment or car or wherever you're listening to this, it'll be dark. But not quite as dark as it was back then. There were no, there were no street lights. Uh, there were some torches, but it was just a very dark time. And so, what could they do? They had to wait till the moon came up. And we checked the lunar tables, and the moon came up that night at about two o'clock in the morning. Now, in George Washington's letter to the Continental Congress, he said that they moved out around midnight. And if they had moved out around midnight, they would have gotten to Princeton much earlier than they wound up getting there. And some historians have wondered why it took them so long. But there was a Sergeant Rodney in George Washington's party who actually kept a journal. And he said, with the moon having arisen at 2 a.m., we moved out shortly thereafter. Oh, so they did move out later. So about two hours later, Mm -hmm. the ground had frozen. They circled around the sleeping British and went to Princeton and took over. Now, this is a pretty small force that took over, but there was one British general who actually was fighting pretty effectively against them, but wasn't able to really stop them. And George Washington, on the battlefield at Princeton, actually rode his horse fairly close to the the British soldiers. And some people say, why did he do that? He could have been shot. But that morning was clear and calm. Cold air was collecting at ground level, and all the smoke from all the muskets collected in this pocket of air that was near the ground, just like pollution does or fog does now. And so it may not have been so easy for them to see him, even though he was riding his horse close to them. But they were able to defeat the British, and and so they had won these two battles. Of course, back home in Britain, Nobody knew about this then. I mean, there was no internet. Right, there it takes no, a while for it, news I mean, to travel. <laughs> uh, there was no, as hard as it is to believe, the, the, the AccuWeather Network wasn't in existence <laughs> I yet. can't imagine. <laughs> and so, you know, we couldn't, you know, so the, 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 the information had to go over by boat. But as the information spread through Europe, the French, who were kind of didn't like the British to begin with, began to think, well, maybe we should support the rebels and help them in their cause. And this was one of the first steps in actually getting that done, and that helped turn the revolution. So they saw the momentum building a little bit, because up until that point, it, they'd been completely getting pretty discouraged they, until well, those, they were. Two, gonna, those two battles. You're not going to back the losers. Right. But one other thing that happened after the morning battle in Princeton, Washington was thinking, you know, if, he, if I could get all the way up to Morristown, New Jersey after this, I could actually capture all the British money. Because in moving southwest to attack them, the, the, the stores of money and all the 
and cash and everything had been left behind. Mm -hmm. If he could have gotten there, he could have captured that money, and that could, might have ended the war right then and there. But his soldiers were very tired and very weary. And he also noticed that it's beginning to thaw. And if it's going to thaw, he's not going to be able to move too much. Maybe they'll be able to catch up to him and capture him. What good would that be? Mm -hmm. So before it thawed, he moved out, and they moved up to their what became their winter quarters in Morristown, New Jersey. And there they could watch the British without really having much chance of being attacked. And the rest is history. So you recently visited the site of the Battle of Princeton. It was kind right? of eerie because at the site there's uh, this house called the Clark House. And the field is, is a pretty flat field, and there were a lot of leaves at this time. They've got some murals showing, depicting what happened there. And it doesn't look that much different than many other fields in the area. But it, uh, I don't know, I got this feeling like that something important had happened there. Just it may be nonsense. It's just one of those things you sometimes feel. But at the Clark House, it was very interesting. And you wouldn't have this in a war today. The injured soldiers from both sides were actually treated at that one house. Why would that have been? Well, that was where... The, that was where the medical facilities were, and so people were transported to this house, and nobody attacked hospitals at that point, mm -hmm. and so that's what happened. And this is a, one General Mercer, who was uh, stabbed by bayonet, I think seven times, was taken there. He passed away shortly after that, and Mercer County, New Jersey, is named for him. But this was a, the, the, the field hospital. Oh, wow. Very interesting. I'm, I'm sure it felt like hallowed ground when you were standing there. So It did. It was also cold, and that night it began sleeting, and it was... Uh, wow. Uh, so you, when you were there, you ended up with very similar conditions to what would have been very, the case. Yes, and night. so I've thought to myself about, look at this. You know, if, he, if George Washington hadn't taken these actions way back when, right after the Christmas of 1776... The revolution might have been lost. They would never have been able to get the French together. The, the soldiers would have gone back to their farms and whatever and hoped that they weren't going to be hung or, or tried for treason. And, and now we have the United States. And, and so uh, that was a big time then. Yeah, it's pretty interesting to think about. And a nice reminder, thanks for sharing with us, Elliot, you know, to think about while we're racing around, doing shopping, maybe shopping online, and just how different it was when we became a country. So well, thanks. I'll bet, I'll bet they went shopping then too, but I'm, I don't think it was online. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> they still didn't have the AccuWeather Network. <laughs> well, that's, uh, uh, shame, shame if it was, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Elliot. I appreciate you. Certainly. Always so good to have Elliot in here sharing some of these stories with us. It looked really different back in the Just Christmas. Yeah, 1776 compared to now. I couldn't imagine enduring that kind of weather, that kind of cold, having to be outside and just... It's amazing. It and, is. and how those people, you know, were so brave and fought so hard. and It, it made our country yeah. what we are today. Yeah. Andy so. complains when his radio booth is a little too cold. Does he? <laughs> I got I to gotta admit, Andy, I'm a little spoiled. <laughs> you know, I'm that way, too. I'm, like, walking around complaining, it's too cold in here. Yeah, and it's also, you think about, like, Valley Forge and, you know, how they endured, like, those cold winters. It's It's just Remarkable, I know. absolutely remarkable, and it's one of my favorite things when we do these historical lookbacks because it's like you just hang on every word. So. I know, and how weather played a part, and yeah. how they used it to their advantage. So, a uh, really interesting story. And you know, uh, as we're heading to our Christmas holiday season, we want to wish you a happy holiday, our listeners. And also, if you have to do any traveling over the holiday, don't forget you can download the AccuWeather app, and that will keep you up to date on the very latest weather, no matter where you're going. It also has a minute cast. So you can stay on top of the, the most current conditions. So download it for free. Just look for the orange sun on the App Store. 
tune in next week. We'll have a little fun with our year-end wrap-up. And from all of us, have a happy holiday. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to AccuWeather's Everything Under the Sun, giving you the stories behind the weather and so much more. New episodes every Thursday. Just search for AccuWeather on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or visit AccuWeather.com slash podcast. 